Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Bra podcast, brought to you by Barbells for Boobs, where we are redefining the standard of breast health care and improving the life post-diagnosis. I'm your host, Zayana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have Sarah Thomas, an Aussie in Seattle, sleepless and a sleepless Aussie in Seattle, <laughs> globetrotter, and just living her best life. Also a breast cancer survivor. I got to kind of throw that in, Sarah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Um, the accent is going to fuel the energy of this podcast today. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so I'm going to start where I start with everyone. And I think that this might be a very interesting story with, you know, any Australian story usually has got some, some perk to it. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Oh, I feel like that's a loaded question. It's, so I yes, exactly. It's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I'm originally from Melbourne, Australia, and I've been living in um, the never sunny Seattle for about five years now. And um, I basically relocated for my career and uh, my love of living in different places. When I as I was growing up, my dad was an expat, so I lived in South Africa and Taiwan, and that kind of, like, geared me towards, you know, wanting to spread my wings and just see as much of the world as I as I could. Wow, that's, that's like a... I feel that a lot of times we just kind of... We're okay with comfort, right? And where we, where we come from in our neighborhoods, uh, it's, like, safe for us. So to, to be able to... Mm-hmm. Um, be so global how old were you when you were living in all these different places so I think the first time we moved overseas I was eight and then when I moved to South Africa I was 14 what was it where's the coolest where's the coolest place you've ever lived you know I really love South Africa like that country is just so beautiful it's just like you just have to go and experience it. It's great. The people are great. Just, it's a beautiful place. I've always wanted to go to South Africa. It's in my bucket list. Not anytime soon. We're not, nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> All your bucket lists are on hold. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so in, you were there in, when you were 14. What, what, what was the next place you went after South Africa? So I came back to Australia and... Um, you know, I, I was working for Boeing Aerostructures at the time and I was on a, a business trip to Amsterdam and that was kind of my first solo trip by myself at 25 and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I just want to, you know, start traveling again. So I started applying for jobs and then I uh, got one in Seattle. I actually accepted the job having never been to Seattle and the first time I experienced it was when I landed so I was kind of just like jumping straight in. I figured, you know, if I hate it, I can come back. But here I am five years later. So you've been in, C- is this the longest time you've been somewhere in your adult life? <laughs> <laughs> Feels like that. Yeah, I think, I think. Like, I mean, I was, you know, in Melbourne, Australia from the time I was like 15 to about, tw- I think I moved at like 29. Oh, wow. 29. Yeah. 
So I'm, I, I have a little bit of knowledge of Seattle. I moved there right out of high school, pretty much right out of high school. I went to community college for six months and I was like, this is for the birds. And I actually went to massage school for a year in Seattle. And yeah, college was for the birds. <laughs> like this is, this is like 13th, this is 13th grade. Why do I have to do English and math again? <laughs> And oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. I just I just applied to go to a, a wine school and they're like, you need to provide us with your English and math. So I'm like, what for? I'm doing wine. <laughs> I mean, maybe to calculate four ounces or eight ounces. I don't I don't know. But <laughs> you're like my spirit animal. You were doing wine. I was massaging. We could have a whole like. <laughs> So so I lived in Belltown for a year and my school was in Green Lake and I just love Seattle. It was probably one of the most fun places I've ever lived. I mean, no South Africa. No, I I enjoy it more in summertime. I thought I was okay with winter until I moved here, but the winters really kind of grind on you a little bit. It's not just like the cold it's nine months of gray which can Mm -hmm. be really rough so that's why we travel so much this is like the first time I've had to like endure like a full full full-on winter (laughs) it's it's crazy because when I was there I think we had a streak of like 111 uh, like it was over 100 days of gloom and I remember the day that the sun came out and everyone in the streets was just like smiling and people were opening yeah. up the doors and half of our staff called in sick. And like it was like a very big deal that the sun came out. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's beautiful right now. It's like in the 80s. Yeah. So th- what what month are we in? It's August. Yeah, I was going to say it's August and September pretty much it in Seattle. (laughs) Those are the two months you want to be there. (laughs) So you moved to Seattle, kind of take us through what, what your life really looked like, what your career, what your lifestyle looked like the day before your diagnosis. So, you know, I worked, um, I work in occupational health and safety. So I was supporting their international new business ventures. Um, and, I had a partner in Canada, so I do a lot of tr- a lot of travel back and forward to BC and just all through the states. So I think my first couple of years here, I went to like Denmark and Sweden and Europe, and I was just traveling a lot um, as much as I could, really. And then, yeah, I guess what happened? I actually um, got an ovarian cyst that I had to have removed. And I have like the most amazing gynecologist here who's unfortunately um, retired. I found her, I went, I went, I started seeing her because she had a really funny name, Dr. Knickerbocker, that kind of drew me to her. And she just, I know it's probably not like the best way to like find a doctor, but I was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool person to see. Anyway, so I had this like a very insist I had to get removed and like a year after that, I just felt like something wasn't right in my system. So I went back for like a checkup and she found like a lump in my chest and I didn't really think anything of it because we have very dense breasts in my family and I was like, whatever, it'd be fine. So she sent me to get a biopsy and that's when that came back kind of positive. And uh, 
she's found quite a few actually in other people as well, like young people. So, and how how yeah, how, how old really were you? Lucky. How old were you at the time when when uh, when you had the biopsy? So that was um, two years ago. So I was thirty one. Any any like breast cancer history in your family? Was this something like totally threw you off? It really did. So I have like every other cancer in my family, but breast cancer. So I was like telling my mom and she's like, no, I had all of those problems growing up. Like I had biopsies and benign cysts and it's fine. Nothing will be a problem. So I went into it. It was actually the 5th of July. I had my biopsy and the 4th of July, we got pretty plastered and I passed out. I was so nervous like the night before. And my, I think my biopsy was like eight o'clock in the morning. We woke up so hungover. My uh, now husband had to like come in with like sunglasses. We both reeked. I'm not painting a very healthy lifestyle. This is not my typical life. Um and yeah, I had to take like lorazepam because I'm like a complete needle phobe and the dose was so heavy. I don't actually remember anything apart from checking in, which is what you want. And so when I, uh, I came to, I woke up and I thought, oh my God, I was so drunk last night. I, I missed my appointment and I rushed to the bathroom and I had all these like bandages over my chest and I was like, oh, it's, it's over. That's great. <laughs> Oh my, so that was, that was wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to have to go back a few. <laughs> this is probably the best. This is going to be a crazy story. <laughs> this is going to be the best like biopsy story I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess like I've had biopsies before and in, in Australia, they always give you light sedation. And I had a really bad experience with a culpo here where they gave me like one tiny little pill and it did absolutely nothing. And I ended up swearing at Dr. Knickerbocker. I apologize later, but it was not a fun experience. And I was determined I wasn't going to repeat that again. Okay. So you have the bandages all on your breast. You have this revelation that it wasn't a dream. You didn't miss your appointment. You actually had a biopsy. What? Yeah. Did anything come of it? Like how soon after you had the biopsy um, was there, did it get serious? It was like a week and, um, you know, it was my, it was pretty traumatic for me. So I was calling like three days later to try and get my results and they're like, we'll call you back. Um, I was actually at work and they're like, we'll call you. So I went into a meeting room and the radiologist actually told me over the phone that I had cancerous cells and I have been since told that they're not meant to tell you that kind of information over the phone and as you can imagine being at work I just absolutely lost the plot um luckily for me I had uh, a close colleague his wife had a sarcoma so I called him in and he consoled me and then my boss drove me home because there was no way I could you know drive getting that news I didn't even remember half of what she told me because you just kind of like go into shock I was just in so much shock I wrote some crap down that whatever she told me and then I kind of just went home wow and yeah was so was your was 
Because it was not your husband at the time. It was your boyfriend at the time. He was my boyfriend. So first of all, I went and sat in the car and I just called my parents, which is probably like four o'clock in the morning their time uh, because it was like 11 or something. And they, my mom, I remember my mom said, can I swear on here? I don't know. Can you bleep me out? You can totally swear. (laughs) I told her and I was like, I got my, you know, my results back. I have like fucking breast cancer. And she's like, what the fuck? What do you mean? And she's like half asleep. And then I didn't remember anything after that. Like I got driven home. She's like, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. And then she flew out like from Australia couple of days I think after that and then I I called my boyfriend at the time and he was in Vancouver so he straight away got in the car and drove home he drove to Seattle is your with me is your boyfriend American or Australian as well or he's he's Canadian he's Canadian wow that's got to be a firecracker household (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Canadians are the nicer, tamer Australians, so it's a good balance. <laughs> so, uh, so you get the diagnosis. What were the next steps? What kind of treatment were you looking at? Um, how long did that take? Kind of what were your options given to you? I was really lucky. So I've got uh, a lot of friends that are in the medical industry here. So I actually had a a friend that uh, was a breast reconstructive surgeon in Seattle at the time. And also one of my friends in Austin, he uh, works in cancer research. So he does a lot of the clinical trials and stuff like that. So of course I called him losing the plot and gave him all my stuff. And he's like, um, actually this is, I probably stepped a little bit forward once I had all my like diagnosis and stuff like that. He kind of like calmed me down, but Um, yeah, they kind of just, uh, the hospital kind of called me and they're like, they're really, really good. The concierge service. They're like, we've booked you in with this breast surgeon and this oncologist come in and do all this stuff. So he told me to take like a notebook and, um, you know, I had Rob there with me, which is great because, I think I heard like half of what it was that she was telling me and the rest just like tuned out. So all the information that I didn't get, he caught and we kind of just talked about it afterwards and it was really great. Um, I was really lucky to get into one of the top medical oncologists here who he's unfortunately just retired in his seventies. So Dr. Henry Kaplan. He was really great. And then I had like a a second opinion at SCCA to see uh, the breast surgeon there on advice of uh, one of my friends who is a a breast reconstructive surgeon. So I had like my two choices. I could go with the the surgeons at Swedish or the surgeons at UW and SCCA. And I kind of actually chopped and changed. I kept the medical oncologist, Dr. Kaplan at Swedish. And then I went with my friend's um, breast surgeon Dr. Calhoun and Dr. Colahan. So they're at UW. And they've been lovely. They've been such a great team. Really lovely to deal with. But I mean, it's such a crazy process. So the first stuff I did at Swedish, Rob was with me. And then I think it was like two weeks later, I couldn't get in to get the referrals. And uh, my mum came and um, 
it was really actually kind of fun having her there because, you know, we dick around all the time and while, while they leave you in these like rooms waiting, we always get into like the medical instruments and start playing with things. And I think my mom had like the stethoscope and it got stuck like around her neck and she was like madly trying to like get it off before someone like came back into the room and it was stuck in her hair and yeah I don't have any like bad memories of the whole experience which is probably very different to a lot of other people that you talk to oh I mean it's so crazy because you think that you know you hear someone say that you know I've I'm a I've had breast cancer. I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And you think that the story is pretty much the same and it's not. Every single story is different. Um, and, and every single story, I learned something new with every single story that I hear. Um, how long was your mom in town for? I mean, having that type of support, knowing she was so far away, what did, what did her stay look like? Um, she stayed for... I'm trying to think. She came twice. So when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed actually, it's coming up to two years. Oh, actually, it's just hit two years. So I was two years cancer-free in September, um, September 6th coming up. So she came for two weeks when I was doing all of the stuff, you know, trying to decide between surgeons. And then she came back uh, when I had surgery. And she landed, I think, the day after I had surgery. So I was home for, I think, one day and she came and stayed for like two weeks, which was really good. It was great to have her here just talking through the process. And I feel like Australians in general, they have this mentality that you just kind of like pull up your boots and get on with it. Mm -hmm. So she never really, I never went through that feeling sad and sorry for myself. It was kind of just you know, just a speed bump, you get over and you get on with it. How did your, how did your husband handle everything? And, 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 and when, when did he in the timeline go from boyfriend to husband? Like, <laughs> like share that timeline with us. So, uh, it was probably a year after my diagnosis. So after my second reconstruction. So I think I was diagnosed 2018. We got married and July, uh, June of last year. So it was, it was like a year later. Okay. It was a good test of a relationship. I mean, if you can get something, get through something like that um, so early in the relationship and it's not, you know, a problem, it doesn't tear you apart. I think it's, it, it's a good vibe for what the rest of your relationship is going to be like. 100%. That is a, an unfortunate, great first test <laughs> of a husband. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you know, these surgeries, these doctors undersell how crippled you're going to be. I'm sure it, there's a lot of variation, but I couldn't wash myself or do anything. So having a boyfriend that is willing to, like, wash your hair, mm -hmm. shower you and dry you says a lot about a person, I think. Oh, 100%. Did they find um, cancer in both breasts or was it, did you have, what? and like, I guess transitioning to what did that full treatment look like and what did you opt for? Yeah, um, I don't know why they don't just biopsy both breasts at the same time. So they did one and then they decided, 
you know, actually going back a step, they found one section and they thought in the MRI, there might be another one. They're like, oh, we can just biopsy this one. And then if we need to, we can come back and do the other section. I'm like, no, you're just going to do it all at once. I'm not going through this multiple times if I need to. So I did have to go and have the left one done as well. That was cancer free. Um, I had the option of doing the um, lumpectomy, but because of where mine was, which is like the upper left quadrant high on my kind of chest, my surgeon didn't think she would be able to reach her to do a good aesthetic job um, just because of where it was. It wasn't like under my bust or anything like that. And for me, I really wanted to avoid radiation. Mm. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me. Like I just wanted them gone. Just get them off. I can get new ones. Like I'd rather you not hack them up, just take everything out and put something else in. I, I feel like that's a lot easier and easier in the long run. So uh, that's what I opted for. And luckily for me, my um, my onco type DX test showed that I didn't need chemo. So had I had I just done the uh, lumpectomy, I would have needed like radiation as well. Um, but it hadn't spread to my my lymph nodes or anything like that. So yeah, it was the best bet. My surgeon at the end of the day, she found I had like DCIS um, aside from my um, carcinoma. So it had kind of spread. And she said that had I gone for the lumpectomy, she doesn't think she could have got clean margin. So it was the right, right call in the end. It's so hard to to know what those calls are and and being in the moment and uh, and and hearing a lot of stories of making the decision whether to completely remove the breast and really make sure that you get everything and 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 actually a lot of doctors a lot of oncologists aren't recommending it you know there uh, a lot of the the census nowadays is that that treatment's too aggressive and i've talked to so many women where they things were found because they removed everything um i guess i i would probably be aggressive as well <laughs> just to like for safety <laughs> reassurance they don't happen that it dropped out you back on yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, Hold on, let's make sure. Do you can you check what time it is on the podcast, like on the recorder, so then we can mark it. Twenty two, twenty two. Twenty two, twenty two. We'll mark it. We'll make sure that we go back through it, and, <laughs> and it doesn't mess up like that. <laughs> so, no chemo, double mastectomy. Full reconstruction. Yeah. The hardest thing I found was, you know, I I knew that I wanted to get a mastectomy, but I felt like it's other people's perception of what I should get, which was the hardest. So talking to people, they're like, oh, you're going to get just a lumpectomy. I'm like, I felt like almost this pressure that that's what I should be doing why would I go so far as to get a mastectomy? And even some of like my, my cancer friend, she's like, why would you do that? It's a perfectly healthy breast. I said, yeah, but it's my choice and I work in health and safety. This is my way of controlling that risk. So I actually, so women, risk assessment. women were saying to 
to do a partial? Like, well, you're people were advising that you were being too aggressive. Just in my personal life, not mm. not my doctors. Um, they were just like, you know, you don't need to do that. You have one perfectly healthy breast. You don't need to remove it. But I feel like there's a lot more than go- that goes into it than just that. You know, I have to live with my decision and you know talking about recurrence and stuff like that and and risk tolerances I felt like that was the best way that I could control my risk just getting rid of all the tissue right I would I would agree with you 100 percent a thousand percent (laughs) you should have called me (laughs) (laughs) I would have reassured you that you were you were totally (laughs) normal and sane (laughs) I actually wrote like a risk assessment and I, I wrote like all the risks and how I could control them. And I was like, it, it was just a way for me to kind of like process through and work through it. And yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts, I guess, but it helped me get through it. Well, I think that's a good tactic because I think when you're coming up with your treatment plan, those are big decisions. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're life-changing decisions. And I think that it's really easy when you're on the outside and when you're a spectator of, of an individual going through this, it's so easy for somebody on the sidelines to be like, you should do this. And it's like, well, thank you. Um, but yeah. it's not that, it's not like a, a you know, it's, it's, it's a bigger decision. Um, yeah, but having, having said that, I flipped a coin when choosing my plastic surgeon. <laughs> Like, I just couldn't decide because they're like, you know, you have to keep them within the hospital systems. And I was like, but I really like this medical oncologist, but I also like the plastic surgeon from the other one. So I was like, who do I choose? And I flipped a coin. I was like, if I don't like what the answer is, I know that I need to go with the other one. And it kind of just helped me. (laughs) Are you happy with your your did it land on, was it a heads or tails? <laughs> I don't I don't even remember. It was probably tails. <laughs> and are you happy with the surgeon you ended up with? Yeah, yeah. They were lovely. They were really great. I um I had to spend like a an extra day in the hospital because I um coming out of my mastectomy, um, it was like an eight hour surgery for me and I passed out in the toilet after my surgery. The backstory is I had surgery at like 11 and I was so wound up. I felt the only way for me to get through this is to do a 5 a.m. spin class before my surgery. So I did that. I didn't really think about. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if you were hungover. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't hungover this time. (laughs) But... um, yeah, it was early enough that I thought I can, I've still got like an hour or two window that I can drink fluids. It'll be fine. Wasn't fine because I woke up on the toilet with like 11 people trying to carry me back into bed. Oh um, my goodness. So that was difficult. So anybody, anybody <laughs> listening out there, not a good Don't idea, <laughs> not a good idea to take a spin class before your mastectomy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt really bad for Rob too because I got out at like eight o'clock at night and he was just waiting to come and see me and I'd had a fall in the toilet and um, they came out and they're like, oh, has no one told you what happened? And he's like, no, what? They're like, we'll just be right back. And they're like, no one's told him, obviously. And they came back out and they're like, 
she's just had a little fall. She's okay, but we just, you just have to wait a little bit more and then we'll come back and, and grab you. So I imagine he was pretty worried. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. So I had, you had a long surgery. What did your recovery look like? So I was in the hospital for two days, um, which is, I feel like it's very short compared to Australia. Um, my cousin actually, after me, was diagnosed with breast cancer as well. So apparently now we do have a genetic predisposition for it. And in Australia, they keep you in the hospital for like a week. So it's very different. Um so anyway, I was home like two days later with my um, my drains and all of that. Couldn't lift my arms or anything. My surgeon was like, the only thing I want you to remember is um, no getting arrested and no partying because she didn't want me to put my hands behind my back or my <laughs> hands above my head. And so I was like, okay, that's not going to happen, but that's a great analogy. <laughs> So yeah, I was actually off, I think for 12 weeks. I took the, the maximum time I could. Um, it took me a long time to recover. I was very tired and the cocktail of drugs they give you, I'm just sleeping all the time. And yeah, it took me a good four or five weeks to really like get over that surgery. I know, I know a lot of people are straight back into exercise like two weeks later, but I had like cording that I had to go and, um, have physical therapy for like two times a week. It took a long time for me to get my range of motion and that kind of stuff. But um, I had a trip to Europe booked in October that I really wanted to continue to go on. And my plastic surgeon said that I should be fine to go. And that was, I think, five weeks, five weeks out from my bilateral mastectomy. So she's like, as long as like you don't try and lift any of your suitcases and stuff like that, you should be fine. So I, I went to Europe flat chested and having rub carry on my suitcases. It was great. That sounds like a fantastic trip. <laughs> you don't have to think about bras. <laughs> you don't have to pick yeah, anything it up. Was, it was interesting. I had the expanders. So she gave me like a, a little note in case I set the, the metal detectors off. Um, in the airports and that actually did happen to me in France but you know I think it's just it was so great because I wasn't just sitting in my house like thinking and feeling sorry for myself I was just enjoying and getting a, a change of scenery it was just great that's incredible how how did you find barbells for boobs where did the connection happen for you how did I find it? So I've crossed it for about seven years now on and off. And, you know, I've always been aware of the the wads that they do, the barbell, barbell for boobs, like fundraising and stuff like that. And um, I think I, I stumbled across it through CrossFit and I was just looking for resources uh, at the time I was diagnosed and I found the, um, the online group. Mm -hmm. And I found that super helpful because um, I didn't really have anyone to talk to that was going through what I was going through at the time. So I found a couple of people that were diagnosed around the same time as me. And it was, you know, just good being able to talk about what we were going through and talk about different options and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that there's a uh, our community has very 
the commonality is fitness and, you know, an active lifestyle. So I think having to be able to having that as a resource and know that it's women that also want to get back to a 5 a.m. spin class or to a CrossFit class, uh, it makes it a little bit, a little bit better. Cause you know, I think that, um, I think that when we're just talking to anyone about the type of the style of workouts that we do, we're already crazy. Like the baseline is you're called crazy. So you add in, oh, I'm also recovering from breast cancer. And then it's like, you're super crazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So to have a group of women that are like super crazy is is pretty incredible after a diagnosis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a really great community. And it was like, it was great just having CrossFit there, even though I wasn't able to do a lot of the workouts because my recovery was slow. It was just great being able to go into the gym with my little one pound weights or my bands or whatever and just feel like I'm part of that community again where you're going through this. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I've definitely found in with our community, having having a place like CrossFit. You know, if you're going to have some turmoil or some life changing event happen, having that community and that glue to lean on and to have that unconditional support, it's priceless. You cannot put a price tag on what a CrossFit community gives to an individual. I remember, you know, after I had my son, it was like they prepped a meal train for me of like people dropping food off to my house. And I'm like, what crazy people do this stuff? You know, like people were bringing me magazines and nail polish. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, you know, this is, this is great. Yeah, it was really good. They, they did the same for me. They got me uh, vouchers for like eat local, which was near my house at the time. So, uh, I wouldn't have to cook. I guess they didn't think my my mom was here and all of that. So that was really great to be able to have that. And just for them to be thinking of me is really nice. Now, seeing that you were 31, your diagnosis, have you and your husband discussed children or, you know, was that brought up during your diagnosis and your treatment of with your with your age, I know that this happens to be a, a topic that a lot of women have to make really fast and um you know, an expensive decision uh, when it comes to reproduction. Yeah, I mean, um, because they weren't sure if I was going to need to have chemo, I was presented with that option of, um, you know, saving my eggs and stuff like that. Um, So I did go to those consults and I decided I didn't want to have my eggs frozen. because it's such a process. I mean, everyone's, you know, got their own thoughts around that, but I, I just didn't want to have to go through the, the daily needles and hormones. And um, my oncologist said there was a slight risk because you are pumping all of, I had an estrogen pos, uh, positive cancer, ERPR positive. There is a slight risk that it can increase the growth of cancer. You said that is an acceptable risk, but of course that's something you have to decide for yourself. Um, I elected not to do that. Yeah, it's cra- it's crazy to me because a lot of women, you know, it's a decision you have to make so fast and it is expensive and you have to do it before you start your treatment is what the craziest mm. part is to all of it. Yeah, um, so it's crazy. It's very crazy. I mean, you've got enough on your plate to have to like (laughs) then deal with that as well. It's like, oh, and this, and I have to make a decision about future children right now. Okay. 
So what does your fitness look like now? What does your activity look like? Are you doing CrossFit or um, kind of now yeah, that you're, so you're two years out from diagnosis? Yeah, so um, I've had like three surgeries in total for my, my mastectomy, my, uh, my implants and then fat grafting. I might have another one, but um, I've been in and out of CrossFit depending on what stage of like surgical recovery I've been in. But I'm really lucky my gym is open at the moment. Uh, I know a lot of people um, in the country because of COVID, they don't, they don't have access to their gyms at the moment. So I'm really happy about that. So I'm going three times a week at the moment, which is amazing. That's amazing. What gym are you at up there? I'm at Mercer Island CrossFit in Seattle. It's a little, little gym on Mercer Island. I don't know if you ever got there. You'd know it if you lived in Seattle. Yeah, I know Mercer Island. I never went, but I, I definitely am yeah. definitely very familiar with it. Yeah. So back to CrossFit, fully, would you say that you're fully recovered? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about other people. I felt like my lung capacity took a bit of a beating with all the surgeries I had. That's something that I wasn't really expecting. Um, so... Yeah, my endurance is kind of still coming back, but yeah, I'm, I'm completely recovered, which is great. My range of movement is really good. Just got to get my fitness back. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, I was actually speaking to a woman in our group last week, and she, that was one of the things she was struggling with was her stamina and trying to figure out how to increase it. And so um, I, I don't think that you're alone in that, you know, in that stamina the lack of stamina after multiple surgeries in your chest area <laughs> i think that that's be yeah. patient with yourself i guess it, <laughs> I guess it makes sense <laughs> well, i uh when i when i went to europe um like five weeks out from my first surgery i ended up going to france and just randomly trekking around we came across this sand dune which is called the the dune of palat which apparently is like the tallest sand dune in europe and i was really impressed that i managed to climb this thing it's um huge like five weeks out from my surgery felt like i was gonna die and my chest was gonna like explode but yeah it was it was pretty amazing this is this is when you were chestless and they told you yeah. not to put luggage over your head <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. sc- I'm gonna climb the sand doom though. <laughs> yeah. It's it's sand. It's fine. But I felt like that was such a huge accomplishment at the time. Like it was the first the first piece of exercise I had done after an eight hour surgery was to climb the biggest sand dune in Europe. It's kind of crazy. See, super crazy. That's why you belong to our community. <laughs> super crazy women. <laughs> What have you, uh, what has been your biggest lesson from breast cancer? I feel like, you know, things they just happen. Shit happens basically. <laughs> and uh, you know, things things just fall into place. So I was like really trying hard to advance my career prior to getting sick. I was um actually in like the last round of interviews at Google, which is a crazy process in itself. And I didn't end up getting that job, but it worked out for the best because I was diagnosed like three weeks later and I 
I can't imagine being at a brand new company and then having to go off and, and go through all of this. I mean, I'd been at Boeing for nine years before I left. So I had like that support of the business and things like that. And, you know, after everything happened, I, I got referred for another job and that actually was like my dream role. Um, better than the first one I applied for. And I got that. So everything just perfectly fell into place. That's incredible. And it, I mean, I, I, I think that the one thing that I've consistently heard in a breast cancer diagnosis is it really does make you have to press pause on your life and really stop and, and just really preserve what's happening in your life. Right. And so I think that we're all in this place with COVID and being in quarantine. And, and I always tell women that it's very much, I feel like the world just got a cancer diagnosis, you know, like Mm -hmm. I hear this story over and over, like, Oh, I, so I was diagnosed and my vacation plans were canceled and everything that I thought I was doing next week kind of changed. Um, and it's this overnight change this in one day, your life completely takes a turn. Um, because, because shit happens. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, you just got to look for the silver lining. Like my, my surgery and recovery was great. I had my mom over for like a couple of weeks and that time we got to spend together while it was covering was amazing. I got to like go on these trips and, you know, people are getting to spend a lot more time with their families and loved ones now during COVID. So you just got to look for the positives and everything, I think. Seeing the way to get through it. That's the truth. The silver lining in being a homeschool teacher, full time worker, wife. <laughs> what is? Let's, let's talk about some silver lining there. <laughs> Just think about how much you're learning about children's education. <laughs> but now now you know why you have to like learn algebra it's all coming full circle I always wondered that (laughs) yes now this all makes sense uh you know what I was actually talking to my husband about this yet maybe a month ago as I've now become my son's uh main educator uh I'm like do, do I really need to teach him how to write you know, because this thing that he hates doing is writing. He's seven, right? And I'm like, what? Like, who writes? You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know Ke- Keisha, you're sitting right here writing in front of me. I get it. I hear you. I see you. I don't write. <laughs> I, I mean, I type. I'm like, can I teach him how to type? Because I don't. I feel like you know, when I was growing up, we we learned cursive. I don't use cursive anymore. So I'm like, do kids even need to know how to write? I'm trying to like really, really figure out the best education for my son and where it's not wasting my time. And I'm like, this whole writing thing is wasting my time right now. Yeah. Get on a computer. It sounds really difficult. Like, how do you teach someone to write? Like, how do you break that down? This is a pen. I don't know. It's, (laughs) you know, and my son has special needs too. So he's just like, you know what, Punzel, this is, he calls me Punzel. This is for the birds and I'm going to watch some Fortnite or play some, you know, I'm like, all right, dude, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what you have to spell your name for. You're not in class anymore. So we don't, we don't need to identify that it's your paper. <laughs> oh, it's been a blast though. I actually really enjoy having him around oh, Good for about two hours of the day. And then, <laughs> and then after that, I'm like, what do you want? No. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to share outside of our COVID jokes? 
I don't know. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Just anyone that's going through it, just try and like make the best of each day. And if you can plan your recovery somewhere outside other than your house, like go travel somewhere, even if it's like two hours away, it's just great. Really? That's a, yeah, that's like a for- really interesting perspective. So shine some light yeah. on that. Okay. So for my first surgery, I already had this trip booked, but for my second surgery, my husband had a ski trip booked. And so he's like, but what about my ski trip? And I was like, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like as long as like, we don't have to go on a plane. So then we asked my doctor, how soon after surgery could I get driven eight hours in the car? And she's like, oh, I mean, it should be fine, like two days later. So I was completely out of it, just put in the car and we drove to like Banff. And I don't remember any of the drive, but it was like the best. I wasn't stuck in the house, like moping around. I had a change of scenery and just a, a different environment to, to do that recovery. And then the third one, we went to like Tahoe. So it was great. And you had you had really great experiences each time? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, being in a different environment. Like, I'm not just sitting in the suburbs. I was on the lake and it was super pretty. And even though I couldn't go skiing, like, I could go for, like, a 10-minute walk in the snow and look at pretty things. And that was great. It was nice fresh air. And I don't know, it's just different. Like, if you're always in your house, like, I feel like it just kind of, for me, changed things a little bit. I think that's such an interesting perspective only because I think what we're taught and what we learn is home is comfort, you know? And so during a time of healing, you'd want to be where you're comfortable and you feel safe. I, I, that's just me. I would totally think the total opposite. So I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. I guess like the places we stayed, like they were like huge, big, houses and stuff like that so they were pretty nice and pretty comfortable um but yeah I just really enjoyed being somewhere different I guess because I also don't have my family and stuff like this so for me it wasn't really a big deal (laughs) I mean considering you've been traveling the globe since you were eight kind of makes sense Yeah, I don't really have a home base. You don't have a home base. Well, you are your own home base, so that's a that's a really incredible place to be. You know, you don't. It's not a. You don't need a place. It's just within yourself, which is cool. Yeah. Thanks. Wow. There you have it. From Australia to South. Africa to London to Denmark to Sweden to everywhere in the world and then ending up in Seattle with a breast cancer diagnosis I want to thank you so much Sarah for coming on sharing your story really appreciate it Um, it's great having you in our community and remember everyone shit happens so look look for the silver lining and get the fuck out of town if you are healing Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks to Ryan and Keisha and our crew here, Carla, at Barbells for Boobs. Thank you for listening in today. That is Lights Out for the Behind the Brawl podcast. Thanks.